Attention, all troops. He's alive. Alive. Welcome to the Retroist. When I was young, I was very lucky when it came to going to the movies. My family didn't have preconceived notions of what was family-friendly. We would see action movies, comedies, things that, to today's audience, might seem a little adult for kids. Sometimes when we'd get into the movies, there would be a bit of uncomfortableness, but my family had made some decisions beforehand to see if it was going to be way inappropriate for me. So I would see movies made by Mel Brooks, I would see great action films, the one movie type that we didn't get to see all that often was horror films. Now, I had an older sister who was a big horror fan, and when VCRs came out and cable television, she was all over that. But for some reason, the other members of my family were not really big into horror, so we didn't get to go see them all that often. Which was good, because I have to admit, when I would stay up and watch horror movies by myself as a kid, I would lose more than a little sleep. I guess the closest my family had come to watching a horror film would be something like Jaws, which we would occasionally catch on TV. But even that had been edited, and it wasn't in the theater. So, we were big fans of Steven Spielberg because of Close Encounters and because of Jaws. So my family hears that he's producing a movie that's a little scary, called Poltergeist. And while it would be overshadowed by another movie that we would love even more at the time, E.T., although as the years have worn on, I've sort of come to appreciate the movies maybe even equally at this point. Well, the stars were aligned, and my family decided to see Poltergeist. And it was wonderful. Yes, I was scared, but I was also delighted because here was not just this horror film. It was also this dream family living this life, and it was almost a fairy tale in how dedicated they were to one another. The special effects frightened me, but this reassuring, tight relationship with this family gave me a tremendous amount of comfort when I saw it, and it continues to give me a great amount of comfort every time I watch it. It has been many years since the release of Poltergeist, but it is a wonderful film to watch. So on today's show, we are going to talk all about the film Poltergeist. We'll talk about the pre-production, we'll talk about the talent behind the film, some of the controversy around that, we'll talk about the actors and characters, we'll talk about the plot. We'll talk about how well-received the film was. We'll talk about the, air quote, curse of Poltergeist. We'll talk about the book of the movie, its sequels, its home release, and its influence on pop culture. We have an info-packed episode ahead of us, so without further ado, let's start the show.
So what is a poltergeist? I mean, it's been a couple of years since I looked in the dictionary, and I decided to look it up today, and I guess not much has changed. The dictionary tends not to change that often. A poltergeist is a ghost or other supernatural being supposedly responsible for physical disturbances, such as loud noises and objects thrown around. It comes from the German poltern, meaning to rumble and to make noise, and the word geist, meaning ghost or spirit. That sort of describes what starts off in the movie Poltergeist, although the poltergeist or poltergeists, polster, poltergeist eye, poltergeist, tend to do a whole lot more than just create loud noises and throw things around. It all started in 1981 when a very well-known director and rising star, maybe more than rising at this point, Steven Spielberg suggested to director Toby Hooper Toby Hooper had done the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Spielberg, of course, had done Jaws and Close Encounters of the Third Kind. He'd also be working on E.T. That he direct a movie about an alien invasion that would be called Night Skies. This would be about an alien attacking a farmhouse with a family inside. Hooper had a bad experience trying to direct a alien invasion movie in 79 and turned it down. Which is good because that movie would be changed, messed around with, and eventually would become E.T. the Extraterrestrial. Now, Hooper had turned that down, but he had taken a job at Universal Studios working at the Funhouse overseeing the project and had moved into director Robert Wise's old office. And in the office, Wise had left behind a book on ghosts. Hooper was kind of interested in ghost stories and was a big fan of Wise's film The Haunting and asked Spielberg if Spielberg had an interest in doing a ghost story. Spielberg was a big fan, and he decided to write a script for Hooper to direct. In 1982, Hooper would direct Poltergeist, with Spielberg serving as co-writer with Michael Grace and Mark Victor, and also as co-producer with Frank Marshall. There is some controversy as to who really directed the film, and we'll get a little bit more into that later. Some people say that this was more of a Spielberg movie, and if you've watched the film, you might agree with that or disagree. But we'll talk a little bit more about that later. Some interesting facts. Stephen King was very briefly approached to write the screenplay for the film. Sadly, neither of them could come to an agreement on the terms of a contract. So Michael Grace and Mark Victor were met with, and... They had been hired to write the screenplay for a movie that would eventually become the film Always. But when Spielberg met with them and mentioned his idea for a ghost story, they said, that sounds awesome, let's do that. So Always was put on hold so that they could work on Poltergeist. A little more about Toby Hooper. He was born in 1943, film director, screenwriter, still working today, probably best known for the horror genre. He directed the classic Texas Chainsaw Massacre, along with its first sequel, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. He was also nominated for an Emmy Award for his adaptation of Stephen King's Salem's Lot, and of course worked on the award-nominated Poltergeist. After these messages, we will return. Kids need to do things on their own, so parents need to let them try. But there's something families don't need. 
They don't need caffeine. That's why the 7-Up Company created refreshing Light Cola in regular and new sugar-free. Light doesn't add caffeine like the leading colas, and Light has a satisfying rich cola taste. You were terrific. You really did it. I did, didn't I? Like regular and new sugar-free. The taste proves you don't need caffeine. Anytime Pop-Tarts pop up, people pop up. And now, back to the show. So a script's in place. It's time to cast the people that would be in Poltergeist. Both Spielberg and Hooper wanted to have unknowns to play the main family in the movie, the Freelings, because they thought it would add realism if the people were not people you recognize. Oddly enough, they would settle on people who were not that well-known at the time, but they would go through and offer the film to some people who had some amount of fame at the time. I often wonder if they would have taken some fame if some of these people had agreed to it. But since they wound up with people who were not as well-known, they decided to play it off like, oh yeah, we didn't really want that big of people. So in the film, starring as the father, Stephen Freeling, you had Craig T. Nelson, American actor still working today, very well-known for his part in Poltergeist, probably best known for his role on the TV series Coach as Hayden Fox, and as Mr. Incredible in the Pixar hit, The Incredibles, from back in 2004, still working today. Joe Beth Williams played Diane Freeling, the mother. She was not the first person offered this role. From what I read, Joanna Cassidy turned down the part of the mother. Shirley MacLaine was offered the role, but she left to do Terms of Endearment. Susan Sarandon turned down the role. Barbara Streisand turned down the role. Lily Tomlin turned down the role. And Tuesday Weld auditioned for the role, but didn't get it. Instead, they got the wonderful Jo Beth Williams, actress, director, and current president of the Screen Actors Guild Foundation. First time I noticed her was in the movie Stir Crazy in 1980. I told her my family would take me to see comedies that were a little bit above my age bracket at the time. She was great in Poltergeist, Poltergeist 2. She would also have a role in the very well-known The Big Chill. She's still working today in films. If you follow the podcast, you know I did an episode about the film Dutch, in which she has a role. Worth checking out. Heather O'Rourke played Carol Ann Freeling, the daughter. There, here, that girl. She was born in 1975, sadly passed away in 1988. Very young. She worked in film, television, for such a short life, she had quite a resume. Actually, Drew Barrymore originally tried out for the role, but Steven Spielberg wanted someone more angelic for the role. But it was Barrymore's addition for that role which would lead to her role in E.T. the Extraterrestrial. Now, as I said, O'Rourke passed away young due to a medical error, and it was all in the news at the time, and would lead to this idea that there is a curse on the cast members of Poltergeist. And we'll talk a little bit about the origins of the curse. It's kind of ludicrous, but it is something that people talk about. So I figured, why not talk about it? Dominique Dunn played Dana Freeling, the older daughter. She was born in 1959 and passed away in 1982. Worked in several television shows and movies. Sadly, she was murdered 
by her former boyfriend in 1982. This is, again, part of the insistence that there's some sort of curse. If there was a curse, you would figure it would affect more than just these two members of the cast, but people love to label things as curses. It will continue to claim members of the cast for decades to come, and we will, of course, blame all those deaths on the curse and not on the natural progression of time. It is very unfortunate, though, that two very talented young women were taken well before they should have been. Dunn was cast as Robin Maxwell in the 1983 miniseries V, which had begun filming right before her death, and I talk a little bit about this in the V episode. She would be replaced by Blair Tefkin. The original miniseries is, in fact, dedicated to her. Oliver Robbins played Robbie the Son, was born in 71, is now a writer and director in Hollywood. His first role was in the TV movie Million Dollar Infield, but he's best known as Robbie Freeling, and of course for his role in the comedy Airplane 2. He also would appear in the 80s version of The Twilight Zone in the episode Monsters. After that episode, he left the acting business, but in 2000 he returned and wrote and directed his first film, which was put out on home video. Since then, he has written and directed a few other projects. Zelda Rubinstein played Tangina Barons, the medium, probably best known for her role in Poltergeist. But she would work in other things like David E. Kelly's Picket Fences for several seasons and on the spin-off TV series of Poltergeist, The Legacy, as the seer Christina. She passed away in 2010, but was an outspoken activist for the rights of little people and in the fight against AIDS. Beatrice Strait played Dr. Lesh, the believer, scientist, and ghost hunter. Beatrice Whitney Strait passed away in 2001. She had an incredible list of credits on TV and on stage, In 1976, she had a role in Network, and she won an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress for her efforts in that film. She only was in the film for 5 minutes and 40 seconds, which is the shortest amount of time that someone has been in a film and has won an Oscar. Pretty impressive. Martin Casella played Marty, a guy who gets his face ripped apart in the mirror. Actually, fun fact, that face that gets ripped up in the mirror in the film, if you haven't seen the film, it's a very memorable scene, was actually done by Steven Spielberg using the arms and the fake face. Martin has done a lot of plays, continues to work, live in New York City. Richard Lawson played Ryan. Lawson is an American actor, did a lot of work in movies and television, probably best known for playing Ryan in Poltergeist and also as Dr. Ben Taylor in the miniseries V. James Karen played Mr. Teague, the boss, the guy who decided not to move the bodies. He continues to work today and has a massive resume. He would work in TV and film, but to me, he will always be the voice of the supermarket chain Pathmark because he did the commercials in-store, on the radio, and on television when I was growing up. He did that for 20 years. So I'm going to talk a little bit about the plot of Poltergeist. If you have not seen Poltergeist, you might want to pause this, go watch it, or just listen to it and then enjoy the film. It's so good that it's hard to spoil. Stephen and Diane Freeling live in a lovely California suburb called Cuesta Verde. Stephen is a successful realtor, and Diane is a homemaker who cares for their children, Dana, Robbie, and Caroline. Carol Ann does this really creepy thing. She gets on one night and starts talking to the family's television set, which has started transmitting static following the sign-off for the night. 
Now, for those of you not familiar, TV used to stop. They didn't just play infomercials all night. It used to sign off for the entire night. It was quite an event. They would play the national anthem, get all patriotic, and then that network would just be off for the night. Carol Ann becomes increasingly fixated on the television set, and an aberration appears, which causes the whole house to shake, and at that point, Carol Ann says her famous line, they're here. So all sorts of weird events start happening in the house. Things seem kind of benign at first. Furniture starts moving and all sorts of craziness. And then a tree that lives in the backyard comes to life and grabs their son Robbie through the bedroom window. While that's happening, nobody's watching Carol Ann. And then when they come back in, they realize she's missing. At this point, they hire a group of parapsychologists who come in. This include the people I mentioned, Dr. Lesh, Ryan, and Marty who come to the house to investigate, and they determine that there is a poltergeist intrusion. In fact, there's not just a ghost haunting them, but more than one ghost. At this point, Stephen also has an exchange with his boss, and we find out that this whole neighborhood that Stephen had helped sell, this whole Cuesta Verde, was actually built on a cemetery. At this point, they bring in a medium, played by Zelda Rubenstein. We find out that the spirits are attracted to Carol Ann's life force, and because of that, they're distracted from going to the real light that will set them free. There's also a horrible, horrible beast who lives in the house, who has Carol Ann under restraint in order to manipulate the other spirits into staying. They find out that the entrance to this other dimension where Carol Ann is is in the children's bedroom, and that the exit is through the living room ceiling, and they are going to save her. They do this crazy thing with ropes and balls, and the mother goes in, and we get to see the horrible beast, but they're able to save Carol Ann. After that, the Freelings are prepared to move. Now, we've been told that the house is clean, that all the spirits have been expunged, but this family does not seem to be moving out quite fast enough for my liking. So they're going about their normal lives moving out. The beast creature sets all sorts of craziness trying to get the children. There's some house flipping and crazy wind and lights, and they go into the yard and we find out there are coffins and bodies popping out of the earth and in the swimming pool. And the whole thing is, they had built this neighborhood and not moved the bodies. The cemetery was still there. These people had been left behind and their burial ground had been desecrated. Finally, the Freelings are able to leave and the house crushes and implodes into another dimension. The family, safely in a Holiday Inn, checks in for the night. But before they can rest, Stephen takes the television out of the room and pushes it out onto the balcony. Fun fact, if you see the sign at the Holiday Inn, it reads, Welcome, Dr. Fantasy and Friends. Dr. Fantasy was the nickname for the producer of the movie, Frank Marshall. So a little bit more about this curse. It has to do with those bodies. When I said that bodies started popping up in the swimming pool and stuff, that scene is crazy because there are lights everywhere beaming down onto the pool, and if one of those lights had fallen in, Joe Beth Williams could have been in trouble. Because it was so dangerous, Steven Spielberg actually got in the pool with her, trying to make her feel safer. It worked, and they got the shot. But because real human skeletons were cheaper than plastic skeletons, they used real skeletons in the pool, or so the story goes. And that is supposedly the origin of why this film is cursed. During filming... Another horrible thing almost happened. When they were filming this scene where a clown, which is a terrifying thing, attacks Robbie from 
under the bed, the arms become extremely tight around the actor's throat, and he can't breathe. And Steven Spielberg and Toby Hooper thought the boy was ad-libbing and told him to look toward the camera when they're doing it because they're getting great stuff, but then they realized that his face was turning purple, so they ran over and removed the arms from his neck. So maybe the earliest victim of the curse was spared only through fast thinking of the film's two directors. The house that's used in this film is located in Simi Valley, California. It is still there today, and the family who owned it when the film was being made still lives there. When the film would eventually get released, it was given an R rating, but the filmmakers protested and got the film reduced to a PG rating, which might have helped me getting to see it. So thank you, filmmakers, for protesting. An R-rated horror film might have been a bit of a more difficult sell to my family. The house looks just like the one next to it. And the one next to that. And the one next to that. A young couple live in it. Give Ken a kiss. <laughs> you are so unlucky. With their three children. <laughs> and something more. So Steven Spielberg wrote this for Toby Hooper, but there was this interesting clause in his contract with Universal Studios while he was making E.T. that said that he couldn't direct another film while preparing for E.T. A lot of people have suggested and a lot of actors have mentioned that when Spielberg was on the set, which was almost constantly, he was really kind of running things. And even Spielberg said in an interview that Toby isn't a take-charge sort of guy. If a question was asked and an answer wasn't immediately forthcoming, I'd jump in and say what we could do. Toby would nod agreement, and that became the process of collaboration, which sounds like Spielberg 
had a vision, and perhaps Toby was there just to keep things moving in a sort of assistant role. Now, Spielberg would say these things to one person, and then he took out an open letter in The Hollywood Reporter at the time congratulating Hooper on directing the film. But there are quotes all over the web from people involved in the film who basically point to the fact that Spielberg was, in fact, the director. The mood of the film certainly feels Spielbergian, but it was written by him and produced, so it's hard to know. I would like to give Hooper the benefit of the doubt, but when you hear all these actors saying Spielberg, 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 it's hard not to think that this was, in fact, a Spielberg film. Poltergeist was a box office success. It came out June 6, 1982, and made $6.8 million on its opening weekend on a $10.7 million estimated budget. That's not bad. The film would gross $76.6 million in the U.S., making it the highest-grossing horror film of 82 and eighth overall for the year. Critics basically liked the film, and it would even get a second release around October to celebrate the Halloween season. For a horror film, the film got a very rare honor, some Academy Award nominations. Of course, for fairly standard horror film friendly academy awards best original score best sound effects editing and best visual effects the film would win a saturn award a bafta award and a young artist award for heather o'rourke does this sound familiar That is the music for Poltergeist, which was written by composer Jerry Goldsmith. The score would get Goldsmith an Academy Award nomination for Best Original Score, but he would lose to juggernaut John Williams, who worked on E.T. the Extraterrestrial. One of the things in the film that as a kid I identified with was the products that were placed around the house and amongst the highlights in the master bedroom there is an Atari VCS on top of the television and there is a wonderful amount of Star Wars toys and an alien poster on the wall so things I could really strongly identify with at the time things I was obsessed with then kind of still obsessed with them today so no wonder this film still works for me a novelization of the film was done by James Kahn, not that James Kahn, another James Kahn. It was printed in May of 1982. Kahn is a medical specialist and writer, probably best known for his novelization of Return of the Jedi. He would also write the novelizations of Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom and Goonies. Let me in. 
you got a film this good, you got to try to make a sequel. The film would spawn two, Poltergeist 2, The Other Side, and Poltergeist 3. The first sequel retained the original family, but it tried to give more of a motive for the beast's behavior, making him into an evil cult leader named Henry Kane, who led his religious sect to their deaths in the 1820s. This worked out nicely, but it kind of polluted the original message of the film of having the cemetery souls disturbed by the housing development. Instead, we find out that below the cemetery, which is below the housing development, was a cave, and in that cave, Cain and his followers went to their deaths. So Poltergeist continued in Poltergeist 3. In that film, Carol Ann is the only family member appearing she goes to live with her aunt and uncle in Chicago, and Kane follows her and uses mirrors as portals, and it's convoluted and not as good as 2. But of course, 2 is not even close to as good as 1. Poltergeist has been inspiration for lots of shows, especially a lot of animated shows that do Halloween episodes like to do it. The Simpsons has borrowed from it. South Park has borrowed from it. American Dad, Family Guy. Family Guy did an episode called Peter Geist, which is very similar to Poltergeist, in which the main character finds a Indian burial ground in the backyard. It's not shot-for-shot remake of Poltergeist, but it borrows liberally. What I do like about that Family Guy one is that when they do the face-ripping scene and he pulls off the face, he finds Hank Hill from King of the Hill underneath. Made me laugh. And in film, the movie Scary Movie 2 parodied both the clown scene and the tree scene in it. After these messages, we will return. Please, Katie, you can do it. Can I see you almost, Daddy? Please, Katie, just jump once. Uh-uh. And then we'll go have dinner. Where? McDonald's? Bamberger's brings you the Lennox stereo system that's got everything. AM, FM, cassette player, record turntable, speakers, all for just $179 right now at Bamberger's. You want circular savings and Pathmark is there. Hundreds of warehouse price reductions and double coupon savings. Double the value on manufacturer's coupons 24 hours a day. Get Pathmark's new circular in your weekend paper or at Pathmark. Hundreds of warehouse price reductions and double coupon savings. We're Pathmark. We're always there. And now, back to the show. If you're a fan of Poltergeist, it is available on DVD, Blu-ray. If you're a real hardcore collector... There was a prototype of the 20th anniversary special edition that has popped up on eBay from time to time. It has lots of extra features and includes the E! True Hollywood story about the curse, interviews, the full soundtrack, photo galleries, 
pretty interesting. I was always surprised that this has not been a full release because Poltergeist is well-liked enough that you would think it could support a big banner release. If you're a fan of remakes, and aren't we all, in 2008 MGM announced that there would be a remake of Poltergeist. The remake was put on hold in 2010 because MGM was having some problems, but in February of this year, MGM announced that they still had plans for the remake. I kind of have my fingers crossed that that's a no-go. Not so sure this film is ripe for a remake yet. Poltergeist is a great film and a wonderful film to introduce young people to the world of horror. It is scary, to be sure, especially if you're young, but it is not gory. In fact, only one death happens in the film, and that is Tweety, the parakeet, who dies at the very beginning, and that is brushed off pretty quickly in the film. I think the horror genre has its place for all ages, and I think it's just important that people be selective when picking them and let the kids know that these are just great films and fun films, and just like fantasy and science fiction, should be enjoyed and appreciated. The earlier they get on them, the better, because as adults, the memories you make as a kid can amplify your appreciation for a film substantially. afraid of thunder thunder's just a lot of noise who's afraid of thunder like the noise we make with toys thanks for listening to the show for more retro fun drop by the website at www.retroist.com you can follow me on facebook and twitter i'm at facebook.com slash retroist and twitter.com slash retroist if you like the music you hear on the show a lot of that music was put together by peachy if you like peachy's music have musical needs of your own you can email peachy at peachy at retroist.com if you have a moment and you're on iTunes, why not give the Retroist Podcast a rating? We really would appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the show, and I hope you have a great weekend. Who's afraid of thunder? Thunder's just a lot of noise. Who's afraid of thunder like the noise we make with toys? When the thunder comes with a boom, 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 we get out our drums and we room, toom, toom. rushes back and that's what makes a thunderclap <laughs> thunder's just a lot of hot air who's afraid of thunder thunder's just a lot of noise who's afraid of thunder like the noise we make with toys when the thunder comes with a boom 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 we get out our drums and we room toom toom course you didn't move the bodies this has been a retrospective production goodbye